Someone has said that uh, I can resist anything in life except temptation. Well, temptation is a problem for every last one of us. Temptation is, if you will, simply a fact of life. So the question arises, why are some people able to withstand temptation and others are not? Why is it some people even go so far as to blame and resent God because of temptation, while countless others turn to him for strength in these temptations? Why do some people succumb to temptations while others show uncompromising wisdom? Why is that? What's the secret of their success? Well, in order to understand this issue, it helps for us today to look at three different lies about temptation. And I would suggest to you that those people who always fall into temptation or who fall into it regularly do so because they have bought into at least one, if not more, of these three lies. But those who make it through are those people who recognize those lies, they reject those lies, and they live with uncompromising wisdom that they've received through the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, I'm going to focus really on the last verse that Dennis read to you today. It's from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'll read it again. He writes, But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you cannot stand up against it. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you will not give into it. So what are these lies too many people believe? Well, here's lie number one. Lie number one is this, no one else goes through what I'm going through. You ever hear that one? Oh, I, I couldn't resist because, you know, I, I got a special sin. I got a special temptation. I heard of a pastor who was having an adulterous who was having adulterous affairs plural with several of his church members. Instead of standing up in front of his congregation and repenting, he explained that his actions were excusable because his sex drive was higher than normal men. He said his church ought to have compassion on him because of that condition. Well, thankfully his congregation did not buy that lie. I got news for any of you who think you got a special sin. There's no such thing as special cases when it comes to sin. There are no people who are excused from sin because they have a more they have more sin or they have different temptations than others. Let me read that passage again. It says, "But remember that the temptation that comes into your life your life are no different from what others experience." Oh, I could tell you stories about people who've come in and they say, Pastor, we got to talk. About what? Oh, man, I've committed the big one. I said, really? Yeah. I said, oh, you, you got a new sin? Nobody ever has done this one before? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, you know the Greek word for that, hogwash. <laughs> or the Hebrew, baloney. Uh, you haven't come up with a new one. Every, everybody's done it before from the beginning of time. Well, Satan, though, tries to convince you for a couple of reasons. I gave you some of these reasons up there. Some people attempt to justify their sins because of their 
quote, special circumstances. I mean, not only is this a destructive behavior because it leads a person into continuing that sin, but it's also destructive but because it keeps them from seeking forgiveness. Most of you know 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess this sin, even your special ones, if you confess those sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. Some people buy into that first lie also because they think that they're the only one, the only one in the whole world who is experiencing that particular temptation. And because they're the only one with that particular temptation, they're reluctant to go seek help from anyone else. Now, we talked about this a little bit in Bible class this morning, about how God's design for the church is to be a body of believers, a body of Christ. And part of our job as a body of believers, as a body of Christ, is helping one another through difficult times. 1 Thessalonians 5. So encourage each other, build each other up, just as you're already doing. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. Now, when I'm going through some temptation, some difficulty, I ought to be able to count on you folks to be alongside me, to help me get through it. But when someone gets this idea that nobody else will understand, I think, how many times have I ever heard that one? Well, Pastor, I'm not sure you'll understand. You know, because, well, if you get that idea that nobody else is going to understand because nobody else is going through that special sin that you somehow come up with, they often will not go to other people for help. And without help, there is a very slim chance of them actually making it through that temptation. Now, I gotta, let's be honest. Part of the problem, part of the blame for this problem, if there is some blame, does lie with the fact that the church often does judge people harshly, particularly when they're bold enough to talk about their struggles. It's a sad thing to say, but they say sometimes that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Now, that sounds kind of funny, but that's true. The church has a bad habit of unloading on people who are weak. But whenever I think about that, I, I got to say this. How dare, how dare any of you, how dare me, how dare any of us ever look down on anyone because of sin? We're all in the same boat, friends. You know, instead of judgment, for the sake of judgment, our attitude towards other believers who have stumbled and fallen must always be to try to bring them back into this family of God, to bring them back into this body of Christ. There's always a time for judgment, no doubt about it. But judgment should always be used for the purpose of restoring a person back into the family. We must never, ever feed the idea that people are all alone out there with their sin. Let's not be guilty of cutting people off just because they've sinned. Let's not buy into lie number one, but there are a lot of people who do. Here's lie number two. The temptation is too strong for me to resist. Yeah, I, I could resist everything but temptation. Flip Wilson, some of you remember him, 
used to say, the devil made me do it. In other words, it was, it was, you know, they sent the big guy after me. I mean, how could I resist? Let me tell you about another pastor. I mean, this is sad. I'm telling pastor stories this morning. There's a, there's a rather high-profile evangelist. I'm not going to mention his name. He recently had a very public moral failure. In response to this failure, he sent a video to pastors with whom he wanted to salvage a good relationship. And on the video, he actually explained a dream that he'd had. And in the dream, he saw a cobra, and the cobra was in a strike position, ready to strike him and hit him in the chest. But then he said his dream flashed to another scene, only this time the cobra was two stories tall. He tried to kill that two-story cobra, but it was just too big. And after relaying that dream, he explained his interpretation of the dream. He said that the snake represented a temptation for him, and his excuse was that the cobra, the sin, was just too big for him to handle. And then he ended up his sobbing plea to pastors who received that video that we should be merciful to him and overlook his sin because it was just too big to resist. Now, that sort of excuse is all too common. People excuse themselves because they just couldn't help themselves. Have you ever heard this one? Well, the only reason I got angry is because you made me. Oh, they didn't make you. You chose to. I mean, get over that nonsense. Nobody makes you do anything. You choose to do it. Well, you and I got a sinful nature. 1 Corinthians 10, 19, though, says, And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from beginning, be, becoming so strong that you can't stand up under it. Now, the reason that this lie has so much appeal is because it actually used to be true. Before we were ever redeemed from sin, we were enslaved to sin so that we really couldn't help but sin. In fact, the Bible tells us it's our very nature to sin. But then along comes Romans chapter 3, 24. It says that Jesus has redeemed us by his blood. Now when the Romans heard that, by the way, that Jesus redeemed us by his blood, it would have made good sense to them. It would have invoked a picture of the slave market, which was really a, uh, a thriving part of the Roman economy. When a, a person was a slave, they were completely subject to his or her master. They had absolutely no choice of what they were going to do. And, and so it is with us when we're in sin. We had no opportunity to be free. And at that point, we could use the excuse of the temptation to sin that it was too much for us. But, you know, believe it or not, in the days of the Roman Empire, there were actually people who did not believe in slavery. And so they used to go to the slave market and they would actually buy slaves for only one purpose. The purpose was to set them free. And the Romans actually had a word for it. It is the Greek word apolytrosis. Apolytrosis. And guess what? That's the exact same word that Paul used in Romans 3.24, redeemed. God bought us back from slavery. See, when we were enslaved to sin, we were under the control of sin. We were being sold on the open market to the highest bidder, and the devil's over there and saying, I'll take them, I'll take them. But here comes Jesus with great compassion on us. He pays the required price, which was his own sinless life's blood. And because he paid for us, what? 
It says we're now free. We're no longer naturally compelled to sin. Now the problem is there are a lot of people who don't feel very free. They feel like sin still has control of them. And guess what? <clears throat> if that's the way you feel, the devil has all kinds of things that he will use to entice you to keep on doing it. The book of Hebrews actually says sin is fun for a season. I think we all know that, don't we? There's some forms of sin that feel pretty good for a time. But you know, every kick has a kickback. It comes around again. But see, we don't always have to say yes to every temptation. We always, you can underline that, write in capital letters, put it in neon, we always have the choice to say no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 again, God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you cannot stand up against it. See, the good news is that, that God knows exactly what your breaking point is. Isn't that interesting? God knows exactly where your breaking point is. And because God is so merciful, he promises that he will never let the temptation go beyond that point. So if you are being tempted, it must be a temptation that you are strong enough to resist. Because otherwise, God would have not allowed it to even come into your life. Now, as long as we do our part and resist the temptation that does come, God promises us that the temptation will never get so strong that we can't resist. But you're saying, but hold it. There's some people who give in to it. Yeah, they do. And the only way for that temptation to get too strong is to give in to it. And when we succumb to temptation, guess what? The next time it gets bigger. And it gets bigger still until it's like an out-of-control, two-story tall cobra. But you know, we can hardly blame God that that temptation got bigger. We're the ones who did it. We're the ones who allowed that temptation to grow. Now, let's go back to that story I told you about that evangelist with the big snake. One minister had enough guts to write him back a letter. <clears throat> he explained that the interpretation was all wrong. He said, yes, the snake did represent a temptation. However, he failed to take into account that the first appearance of the snake was only up to his chest. He said the real interpretation of the dream is this, kill the snake when it's small and it won't grow to be too big to handle. Stomp it out when it's little. Don't let it grow up to be a two-story tall snake. But I got some good news even on top of that. Even if it grows too big to handle, it's not out of God's control. See, when we, when we repent, what does God do? God gives us the power to overcome that sin and overcome that temptation. God will allow us to be tempted because it is withstanding trials that literally make us strong, but he'll never, ever allow that temptation to become so strong that you can't handle it. And I got news for you. If you're sitting there right now and saying, I'm not sure if that's true, then you bought into this lie. And maybe the one before. There was an experiment that some scientists did a number of years ago. They wanted to build an ecosystem that would uh, survive completely inside of a big bubble. But they ran into a problem with, of all things, the trees. The trees would grow up for a while, and then suddenly they'd just fall over. And they discovered that they had not accounted for something in this bubble. It was called the wind. 
the wind. It's something that simple. You see, wind, if it's too strong, like a hurricane, you know, or, or, or you know, that uh, the winds we sometimes get around here, you know, can just destroy a tree. But the winds that kind of beat against the tree on a gentle fashion cause that tree to become strong. It's that constant resistance to mild wind that makes a tree put its roots down deep to not only support itself, but to support itself even better when the strong winds come. So trials, temptations, we all got them. They're kind of like the mild winds of our life. When we overcome them, our roots go a little bit deeper. We become radical. You remember that series, Radicalis? Roots growing deep, we're able to stand. And if we never had any trials, in fact, somebody asked me that the other day, why does God allow it? Well, guess what? If you never had any trials, you'd be weak just like that tree in that experiment. We'd crumble at the slightest difficulty. But because God knows what's best for you, he allows the storms to come. He knows your breaking point. He shows you a way out. And he does it to make you just that much stronger. Here's the third lie. There's no way out except to give in. Some years ago, uh, when I was at a church that had a grade school, uh, the principal brought down a young boy and asked me to talk to him. I think it was a seventh or eighth grade boy. And his problem was that he was getting in a lot of fights at school. And while he recognized that it was wrong to be in all of these fights, he would continually say things to me like this, well, they start up with me and I got to finish it. He kind of painted this picture that seemed like no matter how hard he tried to get out of the situation, he just couldn't do it. Now, I got to admit, I, I really felt bad for this kid, but happily, unlike some of these other examples I've given you, he didn't try to justify or excuse his sin. But nonetheless, for him, this was a very difficult struggle. Now, I, I don't remember all the details of the situation, but I, I do know that he cannot possibly be trapped into that because 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, when you are tempted, you know, when somebody's messing you over or messing around, he'll show you a way out so that you will not give in to that temptation, which was, i got to finish what they start. Now, looking boy, back at that boy's situation, it seemed like there was no way out. But that's because we kind of like to think of pleasant escapes. But there's no statement in the Bible, no verse I can find, that says the way out of temptation will always be pleasant. In fact, I want to take you back to the Old Testament, back to Genesis, book of Genesis. You remember the young guy by the name of Joseph whose brothers sold him into slavery? However, everything he did when he was in slavery turned out so good that he finally got to the point where he was the head of Potiphar's household. So as a slave, he had it made. But then one day, along comes Potiphar's wife. She took a liking to this good-looking 17 or 18-year-old boy, and she came after him. Now, she was the wife of his master, and maybe the thought crossed his mind, maybe he ought to obey her. After all, she was second in command. Furthermore, she had him by the front of the shirt. He was physically trapped. Whenever I think of that story, I'm thinking, man, here's Joseph, a young man, and young men have urges. 
I mean, he must have been tempted to use those urges. He must have been tempted to use the excuse that he was trapped and he had the perfect excuse. This seems like there was no way out. But the Bible says Joseph refused to give in to that lie. He found a way out and he took it. You remember what, what, what he did? He said, feet don't fail me now. He ran. That's what he did. That was his way out. He ran. Now, you know the rest of the story. He ran. But let's pretend for a moment you don't know the end of the story. The result of that running was the wife told her husband that Joseph tried to rape her. And he got thrown back into prison. In fact, he was in prison for 14 years. See, the way out of a sin can be very costly. But if your priority is to live a holy life, then you're going to find the way out no matter what the consequences of that way out are. But let's be honest, friends. If you really don't have your Christian walk as a high priority, if comfort or convenience or money or what other people think about you is more important, it's going to be easy for you to believe every last one of these, these lies you're going to believe the lie that there's just no way out. But I'm here to remind you what God says. There's always a way out. Now, it might seem unfair when you do it, but there are two important truths that shed light on this. First of all, if everything in life was fair, we'd all be immediately struck dead. I mean, if it's only because God is merciful that we're even here. Now, i got to admit that's... While that's true, that doesn't provide a whole lot of comfort. But maybe the second observation will make you feel a little bit better. There is not one wrong thing ever committed that will go unpunished. That ought to make you feel a little bit better. Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine. That's what, that's what God says. I will repay. Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to his purposes. You want to see the beautiful example. Let's go back to the life of Joseph just for a moment. Joseph's story. He spent 14 years in prison for saying, feet don't fail me now, running away from a temptation. But in the end, his 14 years in prison led to him being elevated to number two behind the Pharaoh. Like vice Pharaoh, leader of all of Egypt. That position enabled him not only to save his own family, but to save most of the known world from a famine. Now, Joseph who was beaten down, it seemed, everywhere he did for doing the right thing, even at the end could look at his brothers, and then Genesis 50, verse 20 said, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Friends, every last one of us here today who's listening to me, we all need to realize that we have been given the power through the Holy Spirit to lead a holy life. Not through our own efforts, because God has prompt, but, but because God has promised it. I mean, who cares what the world tells us? Who cares what our culture tells us? Who cares what even pastors in the church tell us? The Bible is the final authoritative word. And the Bible says that we can succeed in living a holy life. He says that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you now have the power to resist anything. Let me end with one Bible verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. 
how we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, there are so many lies that we can succumb to. Help us not to. Help us to overcome them and to keep in the back of our minds simple passages that remind us of things like this passage from Corinthians, that you give us victory over sin, that you even give us victory over death through Jesus Christ our Lord. May we always take that hard right against the easy wrongs of life. We thank you for redeeming us, for buying us back from the power of sin through your son's shed blood. May it continue to move us forward to ever serve you with an uncompromising sense of wisdom. In the name of Jesus, amen.